We hold these truths to be self-evident. For enemies dare to strike us, they and all who have aided them will face fearful consequences. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The eyes of the world are upon you. You will bring about the destruction of the German war machine. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Welcome over here to Speaking the Truth. This is episode 12. Yes, that is right. This is episode 12. If you guys are new to the channel or if you guys are new to the podcast, thank you so much to for, for listening. We're actually still sitting and we're in 26 in the world right now on Spotify, which is which is crazy. I didn't check Apple this morning, but we're still sitting in 26. We were in 27th on Friday, then we went to 25th on Sunday, and then we were 26 this morning. So we're pretty much sitting around the top 25 in the world. I want to say right now, since starting this podcast, I've had uh, a lot of support, actually more, more than you would you would actually probably think tons and tons and tons and tons of DMs and comments and so 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 forth. And I thought it was awesome. So thank you so much for for all that uh, the tremendous amount of support. With the support, there comes there's a tremendous amount of hate that came with it at the same time. Because I know a lot of people that are watching this either don't believe in what I'm doing or they're 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 wanting to cast some some doubt or or sort of say whatever I'm I'm saying is not not correct because it doesn't it doesn't align with what they believe. But I, I promise you right now that I, I don't really care about your political stance and whatever you say inside the comments. Well, by all means, go ahead and say them. I don't really care that you're free right to say whatever you want. But it's not going to stop me from doing these. I'm going to continue to do them. And I know a lot of people have been asking, am I going to stop making the fishing and hunting and all the normal videos? No, I, ha- I will not. And I, I haven't, really. The only reason why I haven't done anything here lately is because my boat is currently getting worked on. And I've been trying to get this thing set up and prepped and ready. I think it's very, very important that a person like myself with a following and a voice that's able to reach literally 2 million people really fast. So I want to, I think it's very important for me to do these kind of things. A lot of people wonder why, why I would even want to do one of these. And I I think it's very important because there's not a lot of people out there that would make a podcast with my following and, or speak about stuff like this. Cause it'd be too, it's, it's some of the, some of the topics are very delicate and they may hurt some people's feelings. So in a sense, they would just be scared to hurt their t-shirt sales is the, is the best way I like to put it. There's a lot of people that have a huge major following that, could voice an opinion, but they only voice an opinion when it's, when it's okay. It's not going to hurt them in, in any kind of way, hurt, hurt them monetarily. I don't really care. And I think that's why a lot of people kind of enjoy listening to these. I'm going to be honest with you guys and just, I'm going to find some stuff and if it hurts your feelings, that's fine. I may, sometimes it may be for you. Sometimes I may be against what you, what you believe, but I promise you, I don't give a fuck. I don't. I'm just being honest. And I think that's the best thing about this podcast. So before we move on, if you're one of those people that want to write negatively or say anything negative, that's fine. You can go ahead and try to disprove anything that goes on within this podcast. That's, that's your right. But I promise you, it does nothing more than fuel me and make it more obvious as to why I need to actually do these. So there you go. Just wanted to say that, but we're going to start off with a weekend roundup. So as you guys do know, it was September 11th over this past weekend. A lot of you guys do know it's the 20th anniversary of it. So there's some stuff I'm going to talk about there. There's also a war with China that could be right on the, the, the looming a lot of people may not realize this, but that is a thing that could possibly be happening. I know this may sound crazy, but it could possibly have to do with one of the goofiest things that most people probably overlook. So if you guys did not know, over the weekend, the FBI released, released some declassified, oh my gosh, they released some newly declassified 9-11 documents uh, 20 years after the attack. I, I'm sure a lot of you guys do know about this. A lot of people think that Saudi was involved, so they released, or Saudi Arabia that is, Saudi Arabia was involved. I don't really know if I do personally believe in that. I'm not going to say that they, they aren't, but I don't, I don't know if they are. And from what that came out, they, they released a 16-page declassified document on Saturday night that sheds light on logistical support given to two Saudi hijackers before September 11th. I don't know exactly what that... Because I know there's a lawsuit, a big lawsuit going on right now with all the families that were um, affected by 9-11. It's not even the ones that were uh, necessarily killed that day. But all the ones that are being killed in the after, like the after effects, like all the, the lung damage and so on and so forth that had happened from all the collapsing of the towers and so on. The document summarizes an FBI interview conducted in 2015 with a Saudi man applying for a U.S. citizenship who had frequent contact with other Saudi nationals in the U.S. who provided significant logistical support to the first hijacker arriving in the country. So if you guys didn't know, the Saudi Arabia is constantly, and what I mean constantly, they're constantly denying involvement in the attacks. Um, and the Saudi uh, embassy actually in Washington said it fully supports the declassification of all records. So with, with them saying that makes you kind of think that they really didn't have anything to, to do with it whatsoever. I mean, would a country really go out and say, go ahead and declassify everything, just release everything to your public 
So they know that we're not evolved whatsoever. That's the only thing that makes me like, eh, maybe they weren't. I don't know. 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. Osama bin Laden was, of course, also a Saudi. A gentleman, Jim Kreinler, is a lawyer for the victims, the one I was speaking about earlier. And relatives said in a statement, the findings and conclusions in the FBI investigation validate the arguments we had in a litigation regarding the Saudi government and, and the responsibility of 9-11 attacks. I don't know what what that says. I did actually personally read the documents this morning. It took me about an hour to sift through them. They are declassified. Like you, you, If you guys go on there, you'll see a whole bunch of writing in my cell, like PII or whatever. But you can kind of get a gist of what's going on. There's a lot of talk about a Mediterranean uh, restaurant. That's like it comes up every single page almost. He goes on to state that this together with the Republic evidence gathered to date provides a blueprint for how Al-Qaeda operated inside the United States with active knowing support from the Saudi government. That could be a possibility right there. I mean, the Saudi government could have known and could have been working with some sort of Al-Qaeda. It may not have been the upper levels of Saudi government. It could have been like the lower echelon. I, I, I don't really know because I was honestly, I wasn't there clearly. But I also go on to say this because in 2004, there was a, a final report by the September 11th Commission said it had found no evidence that the Saudi government has an institution or a senior Saudi official individually funded Al-Qaeda, but some former commissioner staff members have pointed out that the careful wording of the report did not rule out the possibility that lower ranking Saudi officials had helped the hijackers. They also said that the commission operating under extreme time pressure could not run every lead to ground. So they didn't say that they, they weren't involved, but they said that they weren't involved. So I don't really know where this is going to go, but they do have a lawsuit going out against the Saudi government, which I don't know how, how far that's really going to get. I, I have really, I have no idea. Because like I said in the previous episode, I am not a lawyer, which some of you guys followed up with. You are also not a doctor, so don't speak on COVID. I guess I'm not a doctor either, but I don't think anybody really knows a fucking thing about COVID at, at, at this point, which you're going to find out here in a second. We're going to talk about that, which it gets kind of somewhat interesting. The the most highest ranking official doctor that we have in the United States that speaks about COVID couldn't even give us the U.S. population an answer about this very simple question. So over the weekend, this is another portion of the weekend roundup. Taliban hopes to join China's strategic belt and road initiative. So this goes on to more China shit that's going on. I did tell you guys in previous episodes about China want to take over Bagram and this, this same thing. I mean, this is They've been doing this for a little bit. The last couple of weeks has been just been finally making the news. So China has stepped up its financial support of the Taliban government since the U.S. withdrawal from the country by promising $31 million in emergency aid and that Kabul could eventually join the Beijing Strategic Belt and Road Initiative. Basically, the Silk Road. Thank you. Yeah, the Silk Road. So there are currently actual verbal agreements between the Taliban and Beijing, like right now, that actually states once the Taliban government gains global recognition, China will start building infrastructure projects within Afghanistan itself. So we have a current enemy, the Taliban, with the United States. And then we have, I'm going to say, a current enemy as well, the China. They're both working together. And China wants to fund the Taliban. And we've, I've been discussing this as well over the last few episodes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to those. You'll hear them. So President Biden has actually suggested that Western nations, this is somewhat ironic, by the way, develop a plan to counter China's years-long initiative that expands its influence in the region. He actually goes on to say this. He said this in March. He spoke to British Prime Minister and he actually said this. I suggested we have, or we should have, essentially a similar initiative pulling from the democratic states, helping those communities around the world that in fact need help. He said this in March. And then he, he just pulls a pullout routine that he should have been doing his entire life in other ways. He pulled, does a pullout routine in Afghanistan, but yet in March he said that he wants to facilitate them because China's going to come in and, and, and help them. It's somewhat insane in a sense, if you think about it, the fact that he says this to British prime minister in March, then butchers a pullout plan that happens in August, September, when in fact, we, sh- like I said, we should have just stayed there, take kept Bagram. So China can't come in and do all this shit, which you're going to find out here later on in this episode. Why? But that was over the weekend. I thought that would throw that. We got some more weekend roundup. There's a uh, very intense uh, MAGA threat going on apparently as well from uh, Jonathan Capehart. MAGA threat is more worrisome than ISIS or Taliban 20 years after 9-11. This is a true thing that came out. I'm really excited about this one. This is a good one. So MSNBC's host Jonathan Capehart argued the fact that, you know, I think we actually have, we have a video on this guy. We have the entire, so can we just play that clip real quick? So Jonathan, you see, I, what I hear you saying is that other forces have changed politics more since 9-11 than 
Oh, I think so. I think um, MAGA and the domestic terror threat is much more worrisome than any foreign threat we could face. So this gentleman, Capehart, he actually, when he says, I think MAGA and the domestic terror threat is much more worrisome than any foreign threat we could face, I'm going to say he's a f***ing idiot. And when I say this, it's because he's never actually had to face any threat in his life when it comes to terrorism at all. He, he, he could sit here and try to sit in front of me and tell me that he, he has, but I personally know this because I've actually fought against terrorists and killed some bitches. I know this for a fact. There's nobody that I, I, I could think of in America, especially when it comes to these MAGA people, which he talks about. They're nothing like the Taliban or any terroristic threats. Are they blowing themselves up on, on the streets here in America? Can you answer me that question? No, right? Okay. Are they rigging cars with bombs and then driving them into, say, the governor's office? No, they're not, right? Okay. Are MAGA taking police officers hostage and then holding them for ransom and then cutting their eyes out? No? Okay. Okay. What is he talking about? Oh, is he talking about he's trying to push an agenda, the January 6th thing, correct? That's, That's the entire thing they're trying to push right now. I will say this. Everybody that went to the January 6th thing, I've said this before, that was really, really, really stupid and pointless. It was really dumb. But the entire reason behind this this gentleman's article or, or what he said on this thing was, was literally he was comparing domestic terrorism and terrorism itself to people that voted for Trump. You know how asinine that is? I just gave you a whole bunch of reasons why they're not even comparable whatsoever. I know for a fact, like truth. So I, I know all you fact checkers out there probably in the comments going crazy. I know for a fact because I've, I've personally fought real terrorists in my life in other countries. I know this. Calm down. MAGA people are not the same as Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and all that. So move on from that one. It's crazy as I wake up in the morning and I sift through a lot of these, and we're still going over the weekend roundup, and I sift through some of these articles, and I find them, I read them, I highlight them, I, 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 I write down some, jot down some talking points, and I forgot about this one. But this, this next guy is an opinion article, and he is a comedian slash lawyer. Anyway, so this guy, Dean, he goes on to say that George W. Bush perfectly tied 9-11 to January 6th. So this is why I, I attach these two articles together, um, two separate people, but they're going after, they have the same agenda. I always tell you guys to look at the agenda behind what's going on within the article itself or just within the news that's being portrayed at the current moment. So this goes on to say that former President George W. Bush was entirely correct in his comments marking the 20th anniversary of 9-11 on Saturday when he drew a comparison between the 9-11 attackers and those who waged the, the January 6th act of domestic terrorism. Previous episode, which was yesterday, I want to tell you guys right now, there's a major difference between domestic terrorism and terrorism itself, like terroristic threats themselves. Like they're two separate, totally separate things. And the way that he's he's labeling domestic terrorism right here, you could actually label BLM and Antifa in the same exact, like the same exact thing. And that's not me being racist or anything like that. I know that's gonna that's gonna piss a lot of people off me putting them on that same thing. But if you want to do the January sixth one, which is funny, you can say they're all domestic terrorism. But then you have to label all that the same shit because domestic terrorism, in a sense, not in a sense, what it actually is, is you as an American citizen say anyone that went to those BLM riots or whatever the, the crowds or whatever, you are then instilling fear on an American citizen, which is domestic terrorism. You're having them actually literally go up and board up their homes, their houses, their workspaces, their places of work. Because they're scared of being terrorized, burglarized, shot, vandalized, killed. It didn't really matter. So what are you then creating? You are a domestic terrorist at that point, correct? Let's just speak the truth. If we're gonna, if we're going to call the January insurrection, whatever you want to call it, January six, domestic terrorism. All right, that's that's fine. But I'm going to go out there on a limb and say that all the BLM riots that cost two billion dollars in damage are the exact same thing. And there's not a lot of people that are looking on the backside of this lens right now who are watching this and or listening to the earbuds. You can't you cannot tell me that's not true. Yeah, I mean, they're screaming for racial equality, but you don't have to cause $2 billion in damage to do so and instill fear on a ton of cops. Like the big thing about people don't really realize with that is the fact that they didn't just instill fear on the the public community, but they also at the same time destroyed police officers' names and the way that they're viewed by the general public would then instills fear on the cops' life when they go home or when they come to the war. It goes a lot deeper than what the person, average person is going to look at it. They just look at it from face value. How many likes can I get on a photo? Well, you see what I'm saying? That that's Let's just look at it from a little d- different perspective. But I just wanted to put that out there. So he goes on to say, while Bush didn't mention the attack by name, it was clear he was invoking it when he said that our nation has seen a growing evidence that dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. So this guy, I want to t- tell you all right now, he took this as an opinion article. So I'm going to have my own opinion about his own article. That's opinionated, I guess. How, how the hell does he 
does he think that from what President Bush said, that that's exactly what he's talking about? Or is this guy trying to push a, a narrative? So I went back and did some research on this guy. I, I went back and found every single article he talks about is he hates on either Trump or Republicans. He's pro-BLM, defending the, everything you possibly imagine. So now you can look back and as you after you find out a little bit about the person, you realize there's a narrative behind the article. This guy vocally disagreed with Bush on policy issues when he served in the White House. Clearly, I just told you why he would. But the former president struck the right tone when he noted that while there is a little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home, they share the same exact disdain for pluralism and disregard for human life as evidence in their uh, determination to defile national symbols. To me, that can go multiple different ways. Bush could be talking about the riots that absolutely destroyed a bunch of monuments. I have no idea. Does this guy really have an idea? No, he's trying to push an agenda on somebody that is going to be reading his article over on, what is this? This is on CNN, actually. When Bush stated that both 9-11 domestic violent extremists wanted to defile national symbols, I instantly thought of how the January 6th attackers laid siege on our Capitol and how 9-11 terrorists had also plotted to strike the Capitol of the White House with the fourth plane United 93. It was hard to not notice given that Bush was speaking in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the very place where the plane crashed when heroic passengers rushed the terrorists in control of the cockpit. So what I'm what I'm telling you is what he just said. I just have I have a rebuttal for it. like he has no fucking idea. He's just trying to push the same exact thing which he said. He sees in his eyes the January six and nine eleven is the same thing. When in fact, two totally separate fucking things. Like like there's not even a comparable. Like is there? Can you can you tell me that nine eleven and January six are the same thing? If you can, you have an agenda. Then he goes on to say that Bush then added point blank that both foreign and domestic terrorists are children of the same foul spirit. He concluded. To call action is our continued duty to confront them. The 9-11 terrorists and January 6th attackers do share the same foul spirit. One glaring difference is that the Al-Qaeda attackers were incited and directed by Osama bin Laden, while the January 6th attackers were incited by an American president, Donald Trump. <laughs> so we'll end it on that. As you guys can clearly see, that's what I said at the very beginning of the article. Every single one of these things you guys see, take it with a grain of salt till you read through it and you find the, the exact agenda, which here it is at the very end. He was trying to compare and find a comparison that he can utilize his Bush name as a president to go against Trump and to say that January 6th was caused by Trump and, and everything else and everybody that followed and, and did that. And then so it means he's literally he compared Trump and Al-Qaeda as the exact same thing. Trump supporters as the same people as who attacked the Twin Towers. So there you go. There's the play on fucking words for you guys for the day. Just wanted to throw that one out there. It's uh, that's another thing from this weekend. There was one more. Did you guys know there was more kids shot in Chicago than have died of COVID-19 across the U.S. this year? No, this is not me trying to to spread some COVID misinformation. I I feel like I got to say this every single time because at YouTube, they want to make sure we're not spreading it, trying to create some hesitancy in some sort. I have the vaccine. I've had two shots. I had Moderna. I've also had COVID. I got the shots because I wanted to travel to France for my birthday to see the World War II sites. So I'm not telling you it doesn't work. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not scared of them. And I've always said this. I've had a million shots in the military. Vaccines don't scare me. If you don't want to get it, I don't give a shit. It's not on me. It's on you. It's a personal thing. I'm not going to push it on anybody. But I want to tell you guys this. A total of 214 minors have died of COVID-19 in the country. Um, so far in 261 were shot in Chicago. Over the course of 2021, more minors have, have been shot in Chicago than have died of COVID-19 in all United States. A total of 214 children, 17 years or younger, have died of COVID-19 so far this year in the country. Comparatively, Chicago, earlier this week, had stated that they had 261 children that have been shot and 41 have died. COVID-19 cases are rising among children between August and September, but deaths among the group make up 0-0.27 of all COVID-19 deaths in the state's reporting data. So there's also been seven states have reported zero deaths among children. Just wanted to throw that one out there. I thought that was a kind of a crazy stat. There's more kids getting shot in Chicago than have died of COVID-19 as a whole in the United States. So what does that say? We have a, a police problem, a leadership problem, a crime problem, or a gun problem. Which one is it? So does anybody have the answer? Me? You know what I'm going to tell you? It starts at the top. Leadership always. Always blame the leaders. When, the, when shit's going wrong, it's the leader's fault. They have all the all the power in the world to change shit to make it correct. So there you go. That's my two cents. There's a weekend roundup. So a few hours ago, it actually happened on September 11th. There was a kid. So I'm calling him a kid because only a kid would do something so so stupid and so naive as, as, as this is. So there's a student center at Washington University in St. Louis is being accused of removing all the American flags on a 9-11 memorial. Yes, this happened. He removed 2,977 flags that remembered all the victims that were murdered on 9-11. What's up? 
Who are you? Okay. Kind of weird when some random person just walks up and photographs you. Late Saturday, Washington universities condemned the flag removals. They declined if they were going to be able to even discipline the students. says that uh, his name is Al Kalini, had attempted to destroy the memorial on Friday, but was told to uh, stop by campus police. Then he bragged on uh, Twitter that he vandalized and he wanted to protest against America, Americans' imperialism and the 900,000 lives that were lost as a result of post-9-11 war. And then he was so much of a fucking coward that he made his Twitter account private because he was probably getting destroyed by people for being a fucking idiot. I don't know. His name is Fidel Al-Khalini. He's a vice president of finance for the student union. Had to throw that one out there. So there's actually another thing going on that there was a, this is an article on CNN Health, by the way. Just want everybody to know that real quick. There's actually two departing FDA leaders among scientists who say COVID-19 vaccines do not currently show a need for boosting, which was kind of crazy because last week I actually stated that they were coming out with booster shots. When in fact, I don't know if they're any different than the normal shot. I think it's just another dose, which I think, matter of fact, I think they won. I've, I was told you there was like a couple hundred thousand people that went and got a third dose in light that they even had. They had two just to get their third. That's excessive or maybe it's not. So it goes on to state that in current evidence does not appear to show a need for boosting in the general population in which efficiency against severe diseases, excuse me, remains high. That's exactly from from uh, the scientists themselves. They released it on Monday. The scientists note that there is an opportunity right now to study variant-based boosters before there would be a widespread need for them. But they also argue in the paper that the current COVID-19 vaccine supply could save more lives if used in people who are not yet vaccinated than if used as boosters. To date, none of these studies have provided any credible evidence of substantially declining protection against severe diseases, even when there appear to be declines over time in vaccine efficiency against symptomatic disease. So what they're trying to just say here, they have no idea if the the normal vaccine that we have right now that everybody's got is even declining whatsoever. And if, if booster shots even needed, it's, it's literally what this is saying. Let's go and find some more stuff. And I forgot to, forgot to, to put this in on, I think it was on Friday. Did this come out on Friday? It was, it was late Friday. I'd already, already done the podcast. And if you guys did not know, I was bringing it up in that podcast about, I was talking mainly just like, what if you already have had it and are the antibodies good enough for you not to get the vaccine? Cause you know, they're forcibly doing it for, for federal employees and so on and so forth, as you guys do know. So I was, I was wondering the antibody thing. So there was actually a video that just came out. This is on CNN. This is live and we're going to play the clip for you, but it states Fauci doesn't have an answer to why those who recovered from COVID are required to take a vaccine. It's a very, very good question to ask. Someone, the top guy, which is him that everybody looks for and looks to about this, couldn't even get it. Let's go ahead and play that thing. So as we talk about vaccine mandates, there are, I get calls all the time. People say, I've already had COVID. I'm protected. And now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? How do you make the case to them? You know, that's a really good point, Sanjay. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response. The one thing the paper from Israel didn't tell you is whether or not as high as the protection is with natural infection, what's the durability compared to the durability Mm. of a vaccine? So it is conceivable that you got infected, you're protected, but you may not be protected for an indefinite period of time. So I think that is something that we need to sit down and discuss seriously because you very appropriately pointed out it is an issue. And there could be an argument for saying what you said. So that is not a very good look, like at all, for anybody that wants to go out and speak about COVID-19, which is kind of funny because I know a lot of comments say you weren't a doctor. Yeah, I get it. But I, I'm still capable of asking a, a simple question, which I don't know why I'm not, not spreading disinformation. I'm asking a simple question. You should be asking the same question. If I already have had COVID, do I need to get is the vaccine or the antibodies from the COVID itself is, is it more powerful than the vaccine? That's a simple question. Why he didn't want to answer it is beyond me. I don't know. Maybe we'll have an answer here in a little bit. So this is the very last little piece we're going to do on COVID in this podcast. But I'm going to tell you guys right now, China has a very strict 21-day quarantine rule when it comes to travelers going in and out of China. So a man completed a 21-day mandatory quarantine upon returning to China from overseas has been identified as the likely source of a new outbreak, okay, raising questions over the sustainability of the country's stringent zero COVID strategy. It's almost as bad as 
what's going on in Australia, which I haven't actually heard very much. And they've been very quiet about it in Australia. It goes on to say that experts advising the government have pointed to one parent, a father who recently returned from Singapore as a likely source of the outbreak, despite the man having completed a lengthy quarantine. Now, this is kind of crazy. The man arrived in Xiamen. He underwent 14 days of hotel quarantine, and then he spent another seven days in a centralized quarantine at a designated location in China before returning home a further week of health monitoring. So that's almost a month, according to the Pushin, 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 Pushin government. He had tested negative for the virus nine times during the 21 days of quarantine before testing positive on Friday, 37 days after being like arriving and being quarantined. Like, think about that. All right. So there you go. There's how the quarantines are going over in China. There's my last thing. Spent 37 days. Quarantine ends up with COVID. They don't know how he got it. So over the weekend as well, I probably should have included this in my, my weekend roundup. My apologies. I will not allow that to happen again. Al-Qaeda leader believed to be dead appears in a 9-11 anniversary video. So Al-Qaeda leader uh, Al-Zawari appeared in a video released on Saturday uh, raising questions over his rumored death. So he was supposed to be killed, I believe, in December. Amid rumors of his death, Al-Qaeda leader Al-Zawari shown in his new 60-minute video that time is offering some evidence that he is not really dead, particularly references to events in December when rumors of his death surfaced. The video was entitled Jerusalem Will Not Be Judaized and was released by Al-Shabaab Media and Terror Groups and Propaganda Arm. One reason why I didn't want to go watch this video is, for one, I don't want to be put on any sort of list for going and searching for Al-Shabaab shit and stuff like that. So Rory mentioned a raid on a Russian military base by Al-Qaeda aligned with Haras al-Din in Syria, which the group said occurred on January 1 after rumors circulating of his death in November. So it was November, not December. Excuse me. But he goes on, however, Zelray doesn't mention the Taliban's Afghanistan victory in his talk uh, of U.S. making its exit from Afghanistan could have been said as early as February of 2020 upon Doha agreement. So he could still be dead, possibly dead, though. That would have been at some point after January of 2021 because he had mentioned something. So the Al-Qaeda leader may not be dead after he posted this video, or he may have filmed it for September 11th, which when I was in the military, we were always Always, like when we were over, when I was overseas, twice on that day, and I remember both times we were always anticipating some big attack on September 11th. Uh, we always, I mean, firefights and stuff like that always happen on September 11th. I mean, it's not super far fetched, but we were always expecting something big for their anniversary. And I would assume this is probably what it was. He's just we want to go look at him. He's pretty much just another shithead and that likes to kill Americans. But she goes on to say that I kind of see this anniversary of the deadliest attack on U.S. soil as a positive event. Tragic, as it says, the 9-11 anniversary is a unique positive one for Al-Qaeda. As one AQ supporter wrote, the U.S. leaving Afghanistan is a validation of bin Laden's vision in the blessed 9-11 attacks and that Afghanistan is the beginning, she wrote. Zawari became the leader, as you guys do know, after bin Laden was killed in 2011 uh, by the SEALs. So, there you go. If you guys didn't know, Zawari is apparently possibly alive. I don't know. This could have been filmed... Uh, earlier date and they're just using it now as propaganda to then get more fighters which they're probably doing a pretty good job of it at this at this current time which kind of sucks so this is coming in from the daily wire they say that ex-obama cia head so he was a part of the cia when obama was in that biden's actions inspired jihadists all over the world and the taliban are harboring al-qaeda now this is a michael morrell he was the acting cia director under former president obama he says that Obama's administration's actions in Afghanistan have inspired jihadists all over the world and that Taliban are already back to harboring al-Qaeda, which should be common sense to anybody that has any brains inside of their noggin. Everybody should know this. It's happening. It's fucking happening. It's happening. It's happening. All the women's rights stuff. I mean, it's it's a big deal. I mean, they're, they're going against everything they said they were going to do. I actually have a clip that we're going to play for you guys, and uh, we'll be back in a second. Ayman al-Zawahiri, the head of al-Qaeda, issued a video on the 20th anniversary of the attacks. The UN said in July he's living in Afghanistan. Is he? We think so, um, which means that the Taliban is harboring Zawahiri today. The Taliban is harboring al-Qaeda today. Um, and I think that's a very important point. So is that just a complete false premise then to say that pulling out of Afghanistan, uh, we can still keep the threat from al-Qaeda at bay? We have a lot of work to do um, in order to do that, right? Um, we have to figure out how we're going to collect intelligence 
two types of intelligence, how we're going to make sure that Al-Qaeda is not rebuilding its capabilities and is planning on attacking us again. And then we have to, if we do that, then we have to collect the kind of intelligence that gives you the precision you need to conduct strikes, right? Drones need to be told exactly where on the earth to go. What tells you that is precision intelligence. So a lot of work for the intelligence community to do here going forward. So this gentleman, who is clearly much smarter than I when it comes to intelligence, gathering and, and, and so on, which brings up another thing. You know how crazy it is that we gave up this area of Afghanistan when it comes to collecting intel? Our biggest gathering and, our, and, our, and the best way that we collect intel is actually through human intelligence, like actually gathering it on the ground. Through, through actual sources. Misinformation and, 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 and disinformation, or whatever you want to call it, can be spread online very much very much easier as, as to compare. If you were to do it in person, you gather such better intelligence on the ground. So anyway, he would know better than I would, but I just want to thought I'd share it with you guys. If this guy's saying it, and I've, I mean, I've been saying it all along, but this guy kind of just, he's got a lot more clout than when it comes to this kind of thing than I do. And the next one we got here is, uh, this is from The Hill. The UN is actually saying that the Taliban is breaking their promises. This should be shocking to absolutely nobody listening to this right now, that the, the Taliban is breaking every promise they said they were going to do. A United Nations official on Monday said that the Taliban is breaking promises it had made um, about its treatment of women in house-to-house searches nearly a month after the insurgent group toppled the Afghan government and seized power in the country. So they lied about how they're going to treat women. In contradiction to assurances from the Taliban, that would uphold a woman's rights. Over the past three weeks, women have been instead have been progressively excluded from the political sphere. I mean, I I feel like as as Americans or just as human beings, you shouldn't be this fucking naive to think that this was not going to be a problem. Like there's there's absolutely no fucking way that this you, you could you could sit at home or sit in your couch or sit anywhere and tell me, yeah, maybe we should trust them. Maybe they changed. Within three weeks, nothing has changed. Additionally. He said that the girls older than 12 years old in some places have been blocked from schools and instructed to remain home. Actions that are harkened back to the Taliban's harsh rule in Afghanistan in the 90s before the U.S. invaded. He goes on to state that the insurgent group has not made good on its vow to grab amnesty to ex-civil servants and security officers who were connected to the former government and to stop house-to-house searches. The UN has reportedly received a number of reports that individuals who previously worked with the U.S. companies and security forces have been searched, while others have made claims of increasing attacks and threats. There's also credible claims of uh, retaliatory uh, and retaliation killings of some former members of the Afghan military have been made. So you guys are telling me everything that I said was going to happen, the UN now says happened three weeks later. I mean, I don't have a fucking crystal ball sitting in front of me. And I told you they were going to go around house to house killing people that worked with us. And that's exactly what the UN found out, which is kind of crazy because if you go and look on the news here in America, there's, it's not on any, any major news that's talking about this. It, I don't know. It's just because we all knew it was going to happen. So this brings us to the topic of topics for this thing. As you guys do know, the title of this podcast and or this video talks about China. I've been talking about China for a little bit and I'm not out here trying to scare anybody or tell anybody what's really going to happen. But I did, I did kind of know and kind of predicted Afghanistan all the way down to exactly what was going to happen like a month prior. Like I, I even, I tweeted this out. I've stated this before. If you don't believe me, go look at Robert Turkle on Twitter. It's literally pinned at the very top of my Twitter feed. If you don't believe me, and I pinned it there for a reason, not because I was right. I pinned it there literally when I tweeted it and I even stated, I'm going to pin this because I know I'm correct. So I'm actually going to bring this up. I did a little bit digging. I did like almost an hour and some change, hour and a half on this one subject alone, and actually told my, my guy, my camera guy sitting, he was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just found all this random stuff. So this is on Newsweek. This was as of this morning. Chinese state media warns of severe military measures of Taiwan office in U.S. changed his name. And it got to me thinking, I was like, why in the world would China get so angry that we, that we cha- that they changed the name? Like, who gives a shit? Like, who really cares? I was like, there's got to be more into this. And then I got into really digging out, and you guys will know why. A state-run media outlet warned of severe military and economic consequences against Taiwan if Washington allows the self-ruled island to change the name of its representative office in the U.S. See, it's so strange. The President Joe Biden's administration is considering allowing the office to change its name from Tecro to Taiwan Represent Office. Let's just say, literally, it's like it takes up the entire page to now three three words. The Chinese paper warned such a change would seriously anger Beijing and provoke a severe military and economic response. That got me thinking, like, why would a name? Because it doesn't. The name isn't crazy. I'll go ahead and read it for you guys. It's Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office, and they're changing it to Taiwan Representative. Like, why? 
That doesn't, why would you get mad about, they're taking economic and cultural out of it. Okay. So it goes on and states this. This is from China itself. If the U.S. and Taiwan Islands change the names, they're suspected of touching the red line of China's anti-session law, and the Chinese mainland will have to take severe economic and military measures to combat the arrogance of the U.S. in the islands of Taiwan. And at that time, mainland should impose severe uh, economic sanctions on the island and even carry out economic blockade on the island, depending on the circumstances. So this got me to really start to think, like, why in the world would they really, like, it's a name. Like, who gives a shit? Like, who really cares about a name? Like, okay, cool, you change the name. What's the point? The name change provides the Chinese mainland with sufficient reason to strengthen our sovereign claim over the island of Taiwan. It is anticipated that Taiwan army will not dare to stop the PLA fighter jets from flying over the island. If the Taiwan side dares open fire, the Chinese mainland will not hesitate to give Taiwan independence forces a decisive and destructive blow. Okay, so as you guys do know or may not know, Taiwan is an ally. Now, I have stated that maybe Joe Biden's words are very um, empty when it comes to to his power when it comes to the world, how the world views him. And that, may, that, may be, that may be a fact. I don't think it is with this one entirely. I think Afghanistan and Taiwan are two, two totally separate things. It has to do a lot with trade, which I'll get to here in a second. There's a, like, when I read this, I was like, man, there has got to be way more to this than just over a name change. That's, 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 not, that's not it. Economy. And a lot of this stems from history generally will repeat itself. And I, I found some shit out about why Japan originally wanted to go to war with us. I, I, I knew why they did, but I didn't realize the circumstances behind it were so, that could have been so devastating for them. I mean, it was over oil. Okay, Japan, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there out here in a second. So this one goes on. This is a pretty good one right here. This is actually in Forbes. So it says, war with China, the economic factor that could trigger it. Okay, let's go ahead and read. This one's pretty long. I got you guys the uh, the old snippet version. It says it will arise from acute economic pain inflicted on China by actions of the United States to deprive them of the most essential physical research of resource of the 21st century. And it goes on to say semiconductors. Semiconductors. China would start a war over semiconductors. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, so let's keep going. We got to know. I'll read this thing, and it's like, a million paragraphs long. Okay, we got to find something. I got to. I got to find out why. The semiconductor problem and the increasing vulnerability of China's economy and military to supply constraints is what led China to consider finally outright military action against Taiwan. In fact, there is a strong historical uh, parallel between China in 2021 that finds itself in a situation very much like the situation in Japan in 1941. Here you go. We're going to give you some back backstory. We're going to give you some a little bit of a history lesson. So. It's pretty clear that Japanese military aggression in 1941 was driven by the need to secure the, the, the country's oil supply. So they found this here just recently. A recent discover in a diary from one of the emperor's uh, aides makes clear how the Japanese viewed oil's importance in the Pacific War. It quotes the late emperor saying after the war that Japan went to war with the United States because of oil and lost the war because of oil. It says the Japanese military obsessed with oil, uh, the Japanese military was also a, a machine was almost entirely dependent upon imported oil. And that meant the United States would supply about 80% of Japan's consumption in those days. If there were no f- supply of oil, uh, one's battleship and Avril said battleship would be nothing more than scarecrows. Okay. So if, if that's, that makes, that gives them a reason to go to war. So that's kind of interesting. That gives you a little bit of backstory as to why they're, they're, they're saying this. And I, and I kind of actually agree with them. China's semiconductor, uh, semiconductor crisis. The new oil in the tech world is as of today, China's tech economy runs on silicone. That is semiconductors. Okay. In 2020, the Chinese economy spent $350 billion buying chips based largely on Western technology. I was like, shit. Okay. So this is the new oil, huh? To satisfy the, the enormous appetite of silicone, China buys 60% of the world's chip production and 90% of its sourced from outside China and produced domestically by foreign manufacturers like Intel. In short, China is highly dependent on a resource that it does not control. So it's almost entirely the exact same thing as Japan in 1941 using needing or getting, excuse me, 80% of their oil supply from the United States. But if we cut off the oil supply, which we did, then when they had to go get it from somewhere else, their, their ships would be scarecrow. It's the exact same thing here. It all has to do with money. China is not a player at all in the, in the fabulous segment, nine out of the top 13 fabulous IC players, those with more than $1 billion in revenue, are U.S.-based. So we have nine of the 13 that are based in the United States. There's not a single Chinese company 
in the world that has over a billion dollar, billion dollar in revenue, not valuation. In short, China is not investing in semiconductor technology at any uh, anywhere near the level of U.S. or Europe, either in quantitative or qualitative terms. As a percentage of sales, the American invests twice as much as Chinese companies do. And in absolute dollar terms, the U.S. has invested, this is a crazy number, 18 times more. So we've invested 18 times more than they have in this type of technology. And that's probably why they're constantly trying to steal our shit, which is always so crazy to me that we, we manufacture so much stuff overseas over there, so it's so easy for them to steal it. So I find this very, very interesting because this, this could lead to war when it comes to economics and, and stuff like that. And there's, there's a reason why Taiwan is such a big deal. I, I believe 30% of the world's trade goes through the, that area when it comes to on a ship. Um, anyway, the net-net, like Japan in 1941, China now finds itself in a position of acute strate- strategic vulnerability and tolerable in light of the geolytical amb- amb- ambitions. So given the dominant bottleneck status of the TSMC, the global ecosystem semiconductors, as I was talking about earlier, a Taiwan takeover might turn the tables on the West and enhance China's geopolitical position beyond alleviating the supply short- shortage. So by taking over Ch- Taiwan, China thinks that this may help them, in fact, which I don't know if that's going to be the case, but this this is written by a gentleman over at Forbes who is probably much better when it comes to understanding economies, and this is probably his only job, honestly. So this is another reason why they could really be wanting to go to war, which is the exact same reason why Japan made the ultimate and fatal mistake of trying to fuck with us in World War in World War II. I'm not going to say it's going to happen to China because I actually do go over a couple other things when it comes to China. I'm not just going to tell you guys a couple things or just find one article. I found like three or four and I, I dug a little deeper. It goes on to state that this one says, will the fall of Afghanistan lead to the war of Taiwan? And I was like, okay, here we go. Let's read this one. Chinese media are already, if you guys did not know this, are already warning Taiwan to look carefully at the shocking collapse of U.S.-supported Afghan government. Should the stunning Taliban conquest of Afghanistan strike fear in the hearts of America's Indo-Pacific allies that they can no longer rely on U.S. defense defenses? The Chinese government certainly thinks so. They are not wanting to miss an opportunity to strike the United States. Chinese media are already warning Taiwan to look carefully at the shocking collapse of U.S.-supported Afghan government and recognize this is what they said directly. When its interests require to abandon allies, Washington will not hesitate to find every excuse to do so. The United States, they warn, is just a paper tiger and that its defeat is clear demonstration of American imp- imp- impotence than Vietnam. So Taiwan is a key piece of growing. Here we go. This is what I told you guys earlier. Taiwan is a key piece of growing great power rivalry between the United States and China and Japan in, in Taiwan's Strait, which links East China and South China in the Philippine Seas, through which the flows an estimated 30% of global trade. So that's one of the big reasons. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to say that they're not incorrect here when they're saying that maybe they might think that that our, our words don't mean anything, but this Taiwan as a whole means much more to the U.S. economy, the world economy, than say Afghanistan does. We're having to shell out of tons and billions of dollars, and so is the world. I think they asked the UN is asking for like six hundred million to give to Afghanistan for for issues like food and water and such. In Taiwan, thirty percent of the global trade goes through that strait. So if that's the case, then that that's a that plays a little bit bigger role than Afghanistan does. You know what I mean when it comes to economies as a whole. So here's another major, major difference between Afghanistan and Taiwan. So Taiwan has a successful and vibrant, prosperous uh, democratic society as of right now and would be fighting to defend itself against an attack from an authoritarian power raises stakes for the U.S., the American people and its democratic allies in that region and around the world. So the crushing of Taiwan would be comparable to Nazi Germany, dramatic conquest of France in May of 1940, which shocked the United States, of course, out of its isolation and convicted it to prepare for war. So it'd be the exact same thing. So you, you can't sit on the silence saying that there's not a possibility it's not going to happen. This goes on to state that the most important point in Taiwan's favor is the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the TSMC, which produces the vast majority of the microchips needed to power the world's computers. It's captured by China. Would one stroke could give the Chinese a powerful stranglehold on the global electronics industry, the, the world is now recognizing the importance of this threat. And while the United States is actively trying to shift chip production back to the United States, it will yet take years to accomplish and cost trillions of dollars. There you go. All over semiconductors, small little chips or just chips in general. And then it got me thinking, you know what? What if we did go to war with these shitheads? I want to find some numbers. I found one, one website that was, that was quite, quite old. And I don't think it was really right. I found one that's from July of 2021. So I was like, okay, so we're going to go with that one. This one I'm going to say right now is out of the South China Morning Post, so it got me thinking maybe they're actually a little bit biased towards 
China. So I was like, well, we'll use this one. Since I'm an American, I kind of want to know. So it goes on to say right here. If you guys want to know the weight of China compared to the United States when it comes to war numbers, you are about to fucking hear them. China has a weight of numbers on its side, but America has the various technological and financial advantages. The PLA, which is the uh, Chinese army, basically, intends to become a modern fighting force within the next six years, but will need to overcome problems with training and equipment. So that right there at the gate is probably a pretty big issue. You're saying within the next six years, you try to be a, a fighting force to fight America. Yeah, okay. We're already there. We've been there. We've been fucking ready. China is pushing ahead with plans to turn the People Liberations Army, which is the PLA, which I was talking about in space, China, into a modern fighting force by 2027. Okay, 2027. Well, it's 2021, and America is pretty much fucking ready to go. The U.S. is by far the, the world's biggest spender with a budget of estimated $778 billion. That was last year. Last year which is accounts for almost 40% of the total global military expenditures. So we almost do 40% of the total expenditures on the entire planet, just the United States, um, which is somewhat interesting to me. China has a distant second, uh, a distant second with an estimated expenditure of 252 billion. So they're in second place at 252 billion. So we are spending a half a billion dollars more than the person in second place. You know what kind of research you can do in a half a billion dollars? I don't fucking know, but I'm sure it's a damn lot. An analyst warned that Washington must keep pace with Beijing on military spending after China announced a 6.8% increase in uh, uh, defense funding this year, falling more uh, than the last two decades combined in a steady increase. Wow, that's pretty interesting. 6.8% increase in in spending, which is not going to get them close to us, but that means we just need to raise ours, which is kind of shitty because the person in office is probably going to remove a little bit of ours and give it to like defunding the police movies and shit like that, which is going to be a major, that that's another big downfall, man. That's why voting is so fucking important and not just looking at what people say and you got to look into who you're voting for and what, what they could, they could do down the road. Like what's going to happen now when it comes to total manpower, China by far has the world's largest military with more than 2 million active personnel in 2019. Now that doesn't really mean much to me. Because India also has a larger military than us as well. We're like third on the list. That doesn't mean shit. It really doesn't. I mean, let's let's just put it put it like this. The army as a whole is massive. Uh, you can take a 100-man element and put them in the woods, and they can get defeated by a sniper team of three. That is very true. So when it comes to, and a lot of people are saying, how do you do that? Well, if you can coordinate airstrikes and, and whatnot on, on an element, I mean, it doesn't matter your size. So that, that's that's the way I could put it. Like I look at it, they got a couple million. That's, that's great. That's a lot of people, a lot of bodies. It also could amount to a lot of casualties. The Pentagon's budget requesting for next fiscal, fiscal year says that there are around 1.35 million active U.S. personnel and 800,000 in reserve. Ah, that, that seems pretty pretty good. I mean, that still puts us with, with reserves. That puts us over 2 million. But that seems pretty. However, technology and equipment are more important than weight and numbers, like I just said. Maybe back in World War II, or World War One, or Civil Wars, like manpower was a big deal because they would just get online and shoot and whatnot and just, they would drop and shoot and drop and shoot. But now it's like, fuck, we can hit you from here. We literally have people that take off in the middle of the United States, they can bomb Syria and be back by dinner. That's real. Literally, they can fly around the world on a tank of gas, bombs, and then be home by dinner. So... United States has 6,333 tanks, has the second largest armor holdings in the world after Russia, while China is third with 5,800. Hmm. Okay. U.S. has the air power. America maintains its edge with more than 13,000 aircraft, military aircraft, 5,100 being operated as a year Air Force. They have F-35 Lightnings and F-22 Raptors, which are by far the most advanced in the world, as we do all know this. And we also have a new one coming out. So... China has, uh, let's see here, what do they got? They have the third largest in the world with 2,500 aircraft, which is around 2,000 combat aircraft. And according to, that's according to the, the China's 2020 report. And they don't even have, I mean, we're talking 2,500. We have 13,000. So this one's going to seem a little bit more daunting, but it's really not that big of a deal again because of power of just, I guess, being smarter and have better technology. China has the world's largest navy. They have 360 ships compared to the U.S. fleet of 297. I was like, oh, man, they got us beat. These sons of bitches, they got us beat. But China may have the numerical advantages down to smaller vessels. So just let that one sink in, such as coastal patrol ships. Okay. 
When it comes to larger warships, the United States has the advantage by numbers, which I was like, oh, okay, good. Now we're winning. So we have 11 nuclear-powered aircraft carriers, okay, that can cruise greater distance uh, more conveniently in, than the normal powered ones. And the carriers are able to accommodate 60 or more aircraft. So not only can we carry 60 aircraft, we also have way more aircraft to carry in general. China has just two carriers. Uh, they're Soviet design from the 80s, and they're powered on conventional oil, and they can only carry 24 to 36 jets. So you're telling me that one of ours, one of ours, which runs on nuclear, carries as many jets as both of theirs. Ah, okay. That's, that sounds like a winning. All right. Now, when it comes to nuclear, the U.S. has the second largest nuclear arsenal in the world after Russia, followed by France in third, China in fourth. China has not really disclosed how many warheads it has, but the U.S. Defense Department in most recent reports of the Chinese military stated that China warhead stockpile was currently estimated about 200, the low 200s. And all these estimates are in pale comparison to the United States inventory of 5,800. That is right, 5,800, which 3,000 are available for deployment with about 1,400 warheads already on alert delivery systems. Wow. So they have 200, and we have 1,400 that are just chilling ready to fucking just launch and another 5,800 just or 3,000, I guess, chilling. China may have uh, the second close, close gap when it comes to nuclear because of the China, or excuse me, the United States and Russia agreement earlier this year. They extend their new strategic arms reduction treaty to 2026. This treaty restricts both Washington and Moscow to no more than 1,550 deployed strategic warhead. I guess missiles, China has better missiles than us when it comes to uh, nuclear warheads. China has a virtual monopoly in one area ground based on ballistic missiles that can be carried out both nuclear and conventional. But the thing is, I guess if they have nuclear, I mean, we have more nuclear power. So I, I mean, I'm not really too concerned about that. And we probably have got shit. I'm going to be honest with you guys. We probably have got shit that's like wild. Uh, we don't, I, I don't know why we, we didn't have to worry about, we probably got lasers and satellites and shit that'll shoot them out. I have no idea. I don't think anybody really knows. All I can tell you is what we had up until about 2014, 2015, and the shit that I saw back then was crazy. Like we had, we had glasses. We you had like this is real. Like the video games is not fake. Like in, within the glass, it had a little screen, and you could see what the UAV saw instantly on the ground. I mean, it's like you're you're fucking flying around, but you're on the ground. So I don't know what they have nowadays because I haven't been in the military for seven years. Wow, time has flown. Seven years I've been out, so I have no idea. But I hope you guys. Uh, took something from this or enjoying this. I'll be back to maybe fi- filming or uh, some fishing videos or something here soon. But I hope you guys enjoy it. I do. I do love you guys. And thanks for the support. We're st- still sitting around the top 25 on Spotify. If you guys aren't over there listening, it'll be linked to the very top of the description. Go, go over there and follow if you would. Other than that, thank you so much for, for listening to me ramble over here on speak the truth. I hope you guys got something out of it. I'll catch you guys on another episode, which is probably going to be tomorrow. I love you guys. Bye. <laughs>